welcome everybody to the long anticipated return of football and focus we had a whole week off uh, didn't we uh, matthew didn't we matthew well you did well we both did by extension right. last week last week i had a what i'd like to call a, a a mega cold it's not it weren't a normal cold that was no normal cold it was horrific <laughs> any cold that means you have to have two covid tests because you're so convinced that a cold couldn't be responsible for how truly horrendous you're feeling a yeah. mere cold okay the sniffles i normally knock off a cold in two or three days and it was it was five or six days of relentless misery uh, but anyway yeah so yeah, doing a podcast pe- last week would not have been fun no and, and i said i'll do it on my own but you put the kibosh on that you vetoed that well i mean <laughs> the, the, the fact that you've begun you've begun this um uh well just before we went into the uh, uh opening credits <laughs> for want of a better word you you, you uh, admitted to me that you really do have nothing to contribute this week um which is really different no, from normal. No, what no, what I actually said was I had a thought last week, but I've forgotten it. Yeah. So probably, probably when I could have done a solo version, I, I may have been able to use that. But so your thought last week gone. would have been strong enough to sustain like more than half an hour of a monologue podcast. That was one hell of a thought. <laughs> I, could have, I could have padded it out. Yeah, you padded it out with what? <laughs> lift, lift music? <laughs> <laughs> interludes uh, yeah 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 just start playing an instrument learn <laughs> learn to play an instrument live <laughs> that would have been incredible absolutely incredible we'd have got i'll tell you what you think we get a lot of listeners with this shit imagine if that started being a thing you just started like playing the oboe for the first time picked it up out of the box and just start playing it um yeah so we're back uh for those of who haven't heard this before? I'm Mark, and that other uh, prick is Matthew. <laughs> uh, now, I don't normally use, I don't normally describe him as a prick, but he is a prick. Uh, we're both pricks, really. We're, we're pricks for being arrogant enough to think anyone would want to listen to our stupid uh, uh, thoughts on on I guess loosely football. But as part of my ongoing quest to discover more about Matthew, I've been asking him some really searching questions over a number of weeks, and I'm and I'm going to continue that now. Matthew, do you like superhero films? Uh, I do. It's it's a slight guilty pleasure because I think you reckon they're shit. And if we were on a night out... We're not talking about my opinion, Matthew. We're talking about your opinion. If you said, oh, do you like Captain America? I would probably say no. But even though deep inside, I'm thinking... Oh yes. <laughs> why do you cons- why do you consider that to be a guilty pleasure, Matthew? Well, it's just very buff men in tight suits. What, what's wrong with that, Matthew? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll get. Well, let me let me finish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Finish. 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 What? <laughs> yeah. Christ! Please continue. Um. <clears throat> No, that was it. That was it. Yeah, brilliant. So the answer to do you like superhero films is yes, but you feel guilty about it because you think uh, that I would judge that for some reason. I mean, why are you think that? I've got no idea. Matthew, when was the last time you brought a CD? Um, there's something like Club Anthems 2000 or, or Gomez. Or something. Oh. So you are claiming that 
the last piece of physical music that you bought was circa 20 years ago. Yeah, possibly. What was the last album you bought? Uh, you got, got a bit of a Saturday. Oh, my days. A CD? Um, no, but, well, I bought a piece of vinyl, but I'm, I buy CDs all the time. I'm, I'm a completist, so I just, I, I love collecting music, and I love... I'm old-fashioned. I just like to have the physical form in my hand. I like to read the sleeve notes. I like to be able to look at the album cover. And I respect an album as a piece of art that was made to be listened to in a certain order, not to be added to a Spotify list and shuffled along with similar music that an algorithm tells you that you might (laughs) like. So we've ascertained so far that you've given up on music and uh, you do like superhero films, especially buff Captain America. And I've won... and I do actually have one last question, Matthew. In fact, I've got two, but I'm going to choose one. Hmm. Matthew, what's your favourite mode of transport? Uh, it would be Joe driving me around. That that's, is basically that's way, way too specific. That is just how. So you I mean the car? Then. You mean the car? Then? Well, I can't drive. Be... I can't drive because of my eyes. So it has. That's so it not the question means... I ask. I'm not asking what can you do. It, oh like, right. What for example. I... You might say my favourite is a plane, but I wouldn't expect you to then fly the fucking plane. (laughs) (laughs) Christ. Just what is your favourite mode of transport? Do you enjoy sitting on a train and looking out the window at the rolling countryside as you pass across this great nation? Uh, I think uh, buses. I quite like... You like a bus? Yeah. Top deck of the bus. Satisfying, isn't it? Yeah, something where you can get the seat out the out the window. <laughs> Excellent. A ref- an old school St. Edward's uh, travelling back to Rumford Station reference there. They, you can't do that anymore. They've, uh, the they've closed that the window. Li- li- they've literally closed that window. And they don't open far enough. So you can only open no. them a little. Like, you probably couldn't even satisfactorily pelt an egg at a passing Mercedes. Uh, <laughs> well, really, it's, it's not like 1997. Good. Right, so I'm good. We've learned even more about you, Matthew. Now, Matthew, uh, seeing as you've already um, come kind clean. Of admitted, come clean <laughs> that you have absolutely nothing to contribute, nothing to say, you've got no thoughts, and the one thought that you did have, you failed to write down and have therefore forgotten about it and can't <laughs> offer it up as a point of discussion on this uh, this week's podcast, which is yeah. shameful for us all. Um, so I'm going to just launch into a subject, and I'm going to make the rare... Uh, the rare uh, demand that this week's the title. I normally leave the title. Oh right, you, yeah. But the title oh, of this do. week's podcast is <laughs> Venga! Exclamation mark. All right, that's that's what I want. Venga. V E N G. V. Oh my god. <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. Venga boys. Yeah. Venga, as in arse and Venga. Oh right. Okay. But anyway, I just want to go on record before I go on to say what I'm going to say regarding Wenger, that uh, he is a manager that, despite never managing the team that I support, I've always had huge admiration for. I think he's a a superb guy. I think he's an amazing, groundbreaking, revolutionary manager who transformed English football, not just within Arsenal Football Club, but outside as well. He changed the game for the better, professionalised it, took it into the, the 21st century. In fact, even, you know, I guess from sort of 1996, he, you know, sort of catapulted English football into the into the 80s because it was still behaving like it was sort of, you know, 1973. 
um, in a lot of cases. So, he's a, you know, and also because of my affiliation and, and, you know, certain clubs that I like to see, shall we say diplomatically, that I like to see do better than others. <laughs> Wenger was for a long time when, when my club was out of the picture and had no chance to compete for anything. Wenger was the only thing stopping a certain team that I'm not that fond of uh, from dominating everything. And for that reason, it felt like half the season was basically an Arsenal fan because they were the only, they were the only hope. So, uh, you know, I've got there's lots and lots of reasons why I've got a lot of time for, for Wenger. However, we, we um, covered a few weeks back, just quite briefly, that he's, he's got this proposal, call it a proposal, I'll be kind to it, um, that has been, um, well, essentially he was commissioned by FIFA to conduct a feasibility study into the World Cup, the biggest uh, tournament in the football calendar that has been conducted every four years since 1930 um, to take place every two years, essentially doubling the number of competitions. Wenger did this um, originally at the behest, because the way FIFA voting, I, I understand, works, or the things that they discuss, is a, a member a member organisation can put through a, uh, a kind of a proposal or a question, and then the uh, other members can vote upon whether that is worthy of consideration. So Saudi Arabia wanted this to be considered. So then that, that was then voted uh, approvingly. Wenger was given sort of carte blanche to go and kind of look into it. And he has come up with a set of ideas um, that he claims kind of supports the World Cup being every two years. Now, Arsene Wenger, throughout his managerial career, moaned incessantly about the number of games that um, he, elite footballers were having to play, the damaging impact that would have on, on performance and their kind of you know, long-term um, sort of biological, physiological health. Uh, Wenger claims that having a World Cup every two years will give more countries the opportunity to take part because he says 133 countries, FIFA member countries, have never taken part in the World Cup finals. He says that the calendar upon which the four-year cycle was based uh, is outdated. It was set up in, it was established in 1930. He says that the um, confederation tournaments, i.e. the Euros and uh, the Copper America and the African Cup of Nations, can take place on the odd years, where the World Cup would take place um, uh, on the even years. Um, and he has also said that you can have a break in every season, either once or twice, for a, a couple of weeks or a month at a time in October and or March, where you deal with all the qualifying for international tournaments. So you essentially take a month off from domestic football, you do all the qualifying to, so that it, it, it means then you, you don't have to have, as, as as we speak, there's an international break. You don't have to bother with that. You essentially do qualifying like it's a mini tournament in itself, so you can just deal with it done. So actually, in a weird sort of way, even though you're doubling the amount of World Cup tournaments, you are reducing the amount of individual occasions in which um, players would have to meet up with their international um, teams and break from the domestic stuff, which Wenger claims will lead to um, more rest time for players and a 
guaranteed chunk of time built in into this new calendar after every uh, tournament where players will get the rest that they need. And a side point as well, um, which I don't know whether it actually came from Wenger, but it is very much part of the narrative that's kind of coming out of FIFA here. It's in a social media generation um, that require and expect instant gratification. People aren't prepared to wait four years for something as high profile as the World Cup. Um, bear in mind, this is the same rationale used by Florentino Perez, the chief executive president, whatever, of Real Madrid, to justify his um, enthusiasm towards the European Super League. He said that these clubs, these super clubs, need to be playing each other every week because the the, the attention span of the social media generation, they watch everything in clips. They're not going to watch 90-minute games anymore. So then the only hope of keeping them interested is for the elite to be playing each other all the time and to keep it really sort of, you know, high quality, high end and, and, and glitzy and interesting because they're not going to watch Real Madrid play against Catafé. They only want to watch them play against, you know, Inter Milan and Bayern Munich and PSG. So that's, that is in a nutshell, the, the, the rationale behind it. And, and, uh, I think initially a lot of people looked at this and kind of dismissed it in the same way as you would if you had like a bit of a crazy uncle who has a few, has a few, um, you know, a few glasses of sherry at Christmas and starts banging on some conspiracy theories or whatever, or in the same way that some nut job like Morrissey, I, in fact, there's, there is actually a little bit of a similarity between uh, Morrissey and uh, Arsene Wenger in that Morrissey is a man who, Musically, I, I could barely have more admiration for as a front man of one of my favourite bands of all time, the Smiths. But he has unfortunately, in his latter years, descended into a reactionary right wing bigot for whom now I just cringe every time I, I hear his name. And it, uh, I have to work really hard for it not to impact the enjoyment uh, of uh, listening to his music. And I have to just tell myself, no, come on, separate artists from, from art and all this good stuff was recorded sort of 40 years ago. And it's going to end up... That's what I think when I listen to Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, ja- I think Jackson, the nature of those... Uh, I use the word allegations. They're not... Let's face it. They're not allegations. The guy's as guilty as... I can't fucking listen to him anymore. After you've heard the, the shit that that man was doing, I just can't. But, yeah. But, yeah, but you get my point. So, so Wenger is... I don't, I don't doubt that Arsene Wenger's come at this with the best of intentions, right? I think he's, I do still think he's a really good guy, and I think that he genuinely believe he wouldn't do anything that he didn't genuinely believe could work. But let's not be fooled. This is a what is motivating FIFA is the same as what motivates every sport governing body and pretty much every organisation of all types all over the world, <laughs> with the exception of sort of you know, I don't know, uh, NGOs, and that is money. FIFA have for a very, very long time felt threatened and jealous at the popularity and the power of the Champions League and the Euros, both of which are run by UEFA. A lot of people, a lot of football uh, kind of analysts and interested parties, former players, managers now regard, rightly regard the Champions League as the pinnacle of quality Any, any, in any sort of football competition anywhere in the world. And it is. It, it trumps international football because 
you're not confined by just picking people from an individual nation state. You can select the best players from all over the world. And there's an absolutely no doubt, particularly from the knockout stage, that the, the level of football, the uh, quality and collection of players at their peak playing each other in the Champions League is way above anything that even the World Cup can produce. And it is also a huge um, a generator of revenue. FIFA don't like that. I think FIFA have always been threatened by that. And that's why they keep trying desperately to build up the beef up the World Club Cup for um, winners of the various confederations around the world. They're desperate to get that, make that into a bigger, longer tournament, maybe get some more uh, representatives of each confederation involved, turn it into a bit of a Champions League format. And they've been banging that drum for a long time, even going back to the early 2000s when the FA Cup was fatally undermined after the FA uh, allowed um, Manchester United to pull out of it. Um, which was in order to take part in the World Club uh, tournament, which that year had been kind of expanded for the for the first time. And, then, you know, so FIFA have been trying and failing to make that a more popular competition uh, for a long time. But don't forget, when we speak about that, that is only regarded as a kind of, you know, a, a minor concern in Europe, because in Europe, the Champions League is kind of the be-all and end-all. In the rest of the world the opportunity to take on the best team in Europe is, is a huge deal, particularly the South American countries. They, you know, that's absolutely enormous to them winning the world club cup, getting to the world club cup final. But anyway, it, it just goes to show that, you know, that it's been on FIFA's agenda for, for uh, a very long time. Now, the, the problem I have, right. When a proposal like this happens, I think it's important no matter how much you care about football, no matter how passionate you are, to kind of just to, to resist the urge to immediately just dismiss it without thinking. I think you should, especially when someone like Wenger's behind it, you have to consider it and look at it properly and say, OK, try and be open minded about this. Is this a good idea? Has this got legs? And I've looked at it and I've considered it. And no is the answer. And it, an absolutely resounding no. And it's not even just because. Uh, I'm in danger of looking at it from the point of view of uh, UEFA and uh, thinking we don't need these additional World Cups and sort of the arrogance of the, you know, the, you know, the, looking at it from the point of view of the concerns of the Western uh, European countries. It's so if one of the key uh, rationales behind this is that people haven't got attention spans they, uh, like they used to, they want they want more of it. They're not going to wait four years. So we are that to me doesn't sound like a concrete uh, kind of piece of research that has kind of reached its conclusion. That sounds to me like a, a theory, a quite, quite a general theory that is probably based on some sweeping generalizations and inaccuracies. But if that is true, then is the answer to, to kind of, you know, to pander to that, to keep feeding that monster? Where does that end? Do you just then have a World Cup every six months in, in 20 years time? The, the, to me, the fact that the World Cup is every four years and the Olympics are every four years and the World Cup in other sports, rugby and cricket, are every four years, is what makes them special. It's what if, if I think if you increase the frequency of everything, you you are just by definition kind of dialing it down. You're making it less special. You know, rarity breeds enthusiasm, breeds excitement, and when it's once every four years. That four-year cycle is quite a magical thing, and you can't. I heard somebody. I've heard somebody say. I think it was even the, the Brazilian original Ronaldo, 
You said, well, the, but the Champions League is every year and that doesn't seem to undermine it. But that, again, it completely misses the point. The Champions League slash European Cup was from its very foundation, an annual tournament. It was part of the, the calendar of European football and it's played throughout the calendar. You begin in the autumn, now, you know, with a group stage and then the knockout games and they're played within the domestic football calendar. And, that, you know, that is a kind of tried and trusted format. The the World Cup, it cannot be compared to that. The World Cup is also a kind of a bigger deal as an event in an individual moment. A World Cup, when it happens, dominates kind of everything. For that four, four or five-week period, kind of everything almost comes to a standstill. Even businesses, I think they know that they're on a losing battle if they're going to keep productivity up. So they'll often you know, shut for an afternoon and let their staff all go down the pub and watch games on big screens in public places. You know, everything kind of goes a bit loony for a, for a while, doesn't it? It's like a, like a holiday camp. And that's great. But that, that wouldn't happen if eventually, if it was every two years, I think the enthusiasm would start to die. People would become weary, uh, weary, weary of it. And also, if, and I, I don't wish this to kind of sound harsh, but if there are 166 countries out there that have never made it to the World Cup, then they've already expanded the World Cup from, um, was it 32 to 48 teams from 2024 onwards. I mean, that in itself is, is uh, you know, I think controversial and, and risk diluting quality, certainly in the group stage. But that will give a lot more countries um, the opportunities to, to qualify. So why do you then need to go even further down that road? I mean, where, where does that end? Will you, do, will you not be happy until you don't even have to qualify and every country in the world can just, you know, be, be in the World Cup? It's just, surely it just, it, again, it dilutes and undermines the achievement of, of making it. If you are a small nation in uh, Central America, uh, Asia, Africa, and you're used to really fighting against the odds and you're, you're, you're in a qualification battle every time with much more kind of powerful and well-resourced neighbours uh, as there are in every every region, then is the solution to that to encourage and fund those nations to improve their football coaching infrastructure and their facilities so that they've got a better chance of producing players of high quality? Or is it just to say, oh, we'll just you know, bung in an extra 10 teams in a tournament and then eventually throw enough darts at a board, you'll make it eventually. I don't see what they will get out of it. And then what do they get anyway? They qualify, they go to a World Cup for the first time, a hugely expanded World Cup. So many teams there that you barely even notice this new team have turned up and then they're out in the group stage and they've not actually, not a huge amount of benefit there in terms of their infrastructure hasn't been improved, their coaching hasn't been improved, quality of players hasn't even particularly improved. I just think that, it's the wrong way of going about it, rather than encouraging and promoting and supporting improvement in standards. You're just trying to just, you know, justify um, an expansion of a competition, a doubling in frequency of the world's greatest football competition um, by claiming it's about giving people opportunity. It's not. It's about making money. It's, it's a huge revenue generator. FIFA want more opportunities to to make those billions of pounds that they make every time there's a World Cup, uh, and they want to they want to do it to the, uh, to undermine UEFA as as much as possible. Now UEFA have straight away come out and rejected it, but uh, Africa and Asia have both um, made a, approving noises. I don't know whether it's been kind of officially approved, 
my understanding is that this proposal um, is the, the way what the way they work. They they decide whether or not to kind of formalise it and to kind of push it through to the FIFA Congress. That decision will be made by the end of this year. And then once the Congress convenes, which is usually in May of each year, they'll then have a vote on it. So by the, the before the end of the domestic football season, it could be confirmed that the World Cup is going to become a two year a two year event. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just talking absolute bollocks. Maybe I'm being resistant to change, and maybe I'm being too kind of traditional about this. But I don't regard myself as a traditional person. I embrace change. I, you know, spend half my life banging on about things that do should change. But I just yeah. think with this, I think I just think it's such a bad idea. But I think it might happen. Yeah, but I guess one of the accusations that you know you were saying that Wenger hated, you know, the the. The, the World Cup qualifying and, and all the players having to go off. If if he's saying, if his proposal was saying actually domestic players, you know, the, the players in the major leagues would, would actually play less international football um, as part of his proposals, isn't that entire, you know... That's that a work? good... Yeah, possibly, because what he's claiming is essentially that you make the qualification bit which at the moment is done, you know, in like a, a sort of 18-month to two-year cycle. So the qualifying for the World Cup, which, you know, domestic football this week has been paused so that we can have another two or three qualifying games for the World Cup across the world. You have those pauses. I mean, take this season, for example, one in the beginning of September, one at this stage in October, and I think there's another one in November. So that's three pauses to the domestic um, um, season prior to Christmas, and then you typically then get one in March as well. Um, before then, you know, you if it's a tournament year, you then go into like tournament preparation at the end of the season. And sometimes there's some games in sort of June and then, you know, late May, early June before the tournament in June. So he's saying that you could, you could compress all that into one big meet where you essentially have a uh, almost like a tournament, a qualification tournament. You get all the squads together, they play those games in relatively quick succession, and then bang, you're done. And then that releases those players. They don't have to keep, you know, travelling the world in between. Now they're still they'll still be playing the same amount of games unless you completely overhaul the the structure of, of qualification. But they will play more in tournament games because if you've got then a beefed up tournament of, of a minimum of 48 teams, you know, we I think we probably all know that, that even that will get bigger eventually then that means the tournaments themselves get bigger and they're doubling in frequency. Also, another point that FIFA have said is if you don't put World Cups in there, then other stuff will come along that will require players uh, to play all year round because, you know, money talks and you're getting these increasingly big um, kind of pre-season tournaments or or whatever that, that um, you know, are, are going to infringe increasingly upon the players' rest time. Well, firstly, they're never going to be as big a draw as a World Cup. They're much easier for clubs to either, especially the, the mega rich clubs, to either A, you know, just stop doing um, or B, just kind of use as an opportunity just to rest and rotate and get people up to match fitness and, you know, try out young players, all that sort of thing. That's never going to happen. A World Cup is, you know, that's the be all and end all. So you go in, you're going with your elite um, or nothing else. So, I, I don't 
I don't buy that. So it's, let's not kid ourselves. It's, it is all about, it's all about money. It's not about giving players additional rest because, um, well, if, if it was, I just wouldn't, I, don't, I just don't believe them. I think that the, 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 what they've done in terms of getting, um, this, this kind of idea of, um, of, um, of condensing the qualifications into these kind of one or two times in the, in the calendar is just a, it's a kind of a bit of an olive branch to the people who were obviously going to oppose this. That's not the, the, that's not been their driving motivation to flesh out this idea. They're doing it because they want more opportunities to make money. They want to, um, undermine and threaten uh, the power of UEFA, the financial muscle of UEFA, and I, I, I worry it's also inevitable. I'm concerned it's going to happen, Matthew. All I'd say is that's what you said about the European Super League and, and that. Yeah, you're right, but that's a little bit different because what you had there was a proposal that came from outside of an organisation. So that was clubs collecting together and essentially trying to form like it was almost like a coup. Um, Whereas this is actually being proposed and potentially implemented by the the world governing body of football. So and it is already being supported by two of the largest confederations in world football. What I guess one of the important things will be to look at is I don't know how I know that. One of the key um, reforms in FIFA over the last 50 years was, I think, Leonard Johansson, no, not Leonard Johansson, Joe Havilan, who was the um, president of FIFA before Sepp Blatter, the great Sepp Blatter. Uh, yeah, what a reputation. Um, Joe Havilan introduced a one-member, one-vote um, scenario, which, which hugely benefited countries outside of Europe, because I think before they had weighted votes, block votes and that sort of stuff. I don't know whether then it would come down to a simple majority. I don't, again, I'd have to look into what FIFA's kind of um, uh, kind of voting regulations are. But if it literally came down to that, so a majority win, then I'm pretty sure this would get through, uh, regardless of how much UEFA kick off about it and threaten to you know, boycott it and withhold their players and all that sort of stuff. So we'll see. But, you know, it would, it would be sad. And look, I'll tell you another thing as well, just, just from the nerd inside me, it would then lead to a huge distortion of, um, of statistics. You're going to have the goal scoring, individual goal scoring and team goal scoring records abs- absolutely obliterated because clearly they're getting twice the opportunity to, to do it. I was just going to say, we all know how much you like your statistics. I, I, I love a stand <laughs> I love a stand Anyway, we'll go now because it took us about an hour and a half to get this bloody thing started because we were having all sorts of technical problems with a new microphone that I was uh, uh, I received as a present for my birthday, which uh, hasn't even worked. Uh, not not the fault of the microphone, um, but the fault of me, I guess, for being inept. And uh, I've banged on enough for the both of us, haven't I, Matthew? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's always the case, but yes. But yeah, but particularly <laughs> this week. See you next week. Follow us on Twitter at FUnfocused. Uh, we've got four followers now, so the sky really is the limit. Who knows? <laughs> By next week, we could have five. Um, and can we dare to dream? <laughs> we dare to dream. Well, yeah. We've got to hold on to the four, though.
Yeah, and we don't want to as... alienate the four, but you're one of them. So, you know, you're, you are 25% of our Twitter. Yeah, audience. yeah, yeah. But on that, on that bombshell, it's time to say goodbye and see you next week. Thank <laughs> you.